coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. And now serving our spring drinks. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey everyone, real quick, we just want to thank all of you who voted for Hometown Stories and the Roanoker Magazine's Best of 2023 edition for Best Local Podcast. You, the listeners, awarded us gold. That's awesome. Really, we appreciate each and every download. Did you know you can also rate our show and leave a review? It helps us share the stories of our hometowns with even more people across the country and around the world. After you listen to today's episode, consider leaving us a review, rating the show, and subscribing. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. Technology is evolving faster every day, and so are the means by which bad actors can access and use our personal data. This is the basis of research experts at Virginia Tech are conducting to better protect us when it comes to our online presence. I hosted a roundtable discussion with Franz Belanger and Donna Wordelich, both are data privacy experts and professors within Virginia Tech's Pamplin College of Business. They also host a website called Voices of Privacy, sharing webinars and how-to videos on data privacy. In this episode of Hometown Stories, we discuss the importance of privacy measures, how bad actors could be using your data, and ultimately, how to regain control. This conversation first aired on the WDBJ7 Plus Digital News Desk. Good afternoon to you both. Let's get right to it. Um, perhaps, Franz, you can begin with starting us off and just helping us understand when we talk about personal data privacy, what exactly are we talking about? Thank you, Liana. Um, there are multiple definitions of information privacy. So some see it as a human right. Some see it as a commodity that you basically can trade off. But really, it's about the control you have over information, how it's collected, how it's used, and who it is shared with. So that control aspect is what we're trying to focus on. I feel like this is so pertinent in particular because over the last couple of years, given the pandemic, we are all expanded, I think, for so many people, our online presence. Donna, I wonder if you can walk us through some of the research that you all have been doing into this topic. Of course, we're only online more and more. Tell us about some of the highlights of the research that you have been doing. I think overall, in terms of our research and our findings, it's a paradox. Consumers want to protect their information, but yet they want to be part of a community and, and to share that information. So what, what consumers do not think about is the steps that they take online and how each step they're being tracked and followed. They often do not correlate this with real world. If they had someone walking right next to them, they would very much be aware of that. But that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the information. And yes, it has gotten um, even worse in terms of data tracking and mining since COVID, since COVID 
for, forced us all online at the same time. And then it gets into segmentation as you look at children being tracked, senior citizens being tracked, regular consumers, and then how brands use that to sometimes create values, sometimes uh, create propositions and other aspects as well for to consumers. That's such an interesting point, the paradox that you point out, because it's so true. If all of our friends are on a particular app, we want to get on an app because we don't want to miss out on that experience. But there is something that we give up when we do that. Um, Franz, I wonder if you can explain to us how we become vulnerable in those spaces. What is it that we risk and how how does it become vulnerable? How are people gaining access to our personal information and what are they doing with it, those nefarious actors? So why we are vulnerable is because there is so much information. So if you think about it, everything we do today from using a smartwatch to a smartphone, there's information that is being tracked, that is being used. We're vulnerable because, you know, I've done research on information privacy for over 20 years. And the problems that existed at the beginning are still there. There's three main problems. People are not aware that the information is being collected. That's what Donna was just talking about with the digital footprints we, we, we leave behind, but we're not realizing we're doing that. The second issue is that the knowledge is not there. The knowledge of what settings exist, what tools exist, how do we do this? And I would add a third one is, we don't have time. Technology changes so fast. We have so many accounts, so many different passwords to remember, for example. And so people kind of give up. And I have to say, that has not changed as much in 20 years, that whole level of awareness. And that's an effort, something we're trying to fix. So what do they do? Well, if they collect all the pieces of information together, they can create profiles profiles of who you are, what you do, with whom. And, and that's the issue of having all of that information out there. And so once they have that profile, they can pretend to be you and they could use that, for example, to access your accounts. Um, you know, We all know about the tools we use for resetting passwords. What's the name of your pet? And that's pretty easy to find. Or which high school did you go to? Or things like that. And so they can use your information, pretend to be you and go online into your accounts. The other issue actually is it, uh, that's a risk for the self, but there's a risk to others because they can also pretend to be you with say your family or other vulnerable members of your family. So if you think of your elderly parents or very younger children that may not have that reflex, right? To, to be careful. And so if they pretend to be you and they have enough information about you, it may look like you and then they can fall victim to, um, to, to these attacks on them. And so some those are some of the possible issues, but there are of course multiple issues about having all of our information known, like where we are, what we do, when we travel, when are we not at home? I mean, all of these are concerns that we have and Part of the information is information that they're tracking, they're collecting about us. Some of them are these vicious tools, we call them, like spyware, because you've clicked on a link and something on your computer is collecting information. But a lot of the other information is, is 
put by the people online, social media accounts and so on. And that's the part where I say we have control. It is for us to decide how much we want to share online so that these profiles cannot be created. And I'm thinking about, you know, myself, I, I am somebody who has been online for a good portion of my life, you know, uh, Facebook came out when I was in high school and, you know, we had Messenger before then, and it was kind of the wild west. We were like, let's, we're all about it. And um, I think it's so interesting uh, how maybe little the average person actually knows. I think we're in a better position than we were, but it sounds like there's still a long way to go. To that point about what we have control over, Donna, what are some of the recommendations when people are maybe setting up a social media account or maybe kind of doing like an audit of their online presence? What would you recommend? There are so many different tools and I think education is key. So. It is our hope, the eventual goal is for schools to start educating younger children about this and beyond the birds and the bees, but really understand settings and what they're giving access to and parents as well. So oftentimes when you start with any social media account, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever it may be, they start by asking your information. They start by asking your likes, your dislikes. That automatically creates a profile. So that's there's a little value in that, right? Because if you want to know about vacations in Brazil, but you don't know, want to know anything about animals because you don't have any animals, then they're, they're customizing that content. So what you're going to see, and then there's choices along the way. So whether it is, why am I seeing this ad? So you may be on your Facebook feed and see an ad. There's actually three little dots on that ad that you can click on. And it actually says, why am I seeing this ad? Then you can go to your ad preferences. Then that opens up your entire profile. And it may surprise some people to see how they're targeted and why are they targeted? Maybe they put a picture of a trip to Brazil. Maybe they put a picture of a dress that they love. Any content is being recorded in real time and is being collected and stored and created as profiles. So what consumers, what can consumers do? It actually is all in the settings tool, the settings tool of every single platform. If a consumer looks, they have the absolute right to make their account private. Private meaning that nobody can access it unless they're allowing people to follow them. They can choose ad preferences to choose. I don't want to see any advertisements. I don't want anything going out to third party, third parties that may be tracking me. And the beauty of it, Leanne, you said this a little while ago, it is getting better because I think so much of the information nowadays when you go on and you may go on Chrome or any other browser and it is asking you and each site do you accept all these cookies? Do you want to modify the cookies? So we have seen through our, um, our online initiative, Voices of Privacy, consumers, specifically the 18 to 22-year-old cohort, that are thinking, I never knew I had a choice to select cookies. And that, okay, give me the, net, the normal cookies. I'll accept those that are required for the platform or the program. But there's a choice and I can say, I don't want advertisers targeting me. This is very much the same if you remember years ago or any time when you're filling out information and there's that little checkbox which says, send me more information or promotionals. Most people miss this. Why? Because it's such a small font. This is not promoted by the social media platforms either. It's a consumer actively going in into their settings and taking control. 
That is so interesting, but it is so nice to hear that there are so many more options and so many more ways for us to be aware and take control. And I feel like, like you said, it's it's changing rapidly. I'm somebody who I, I try to stay very up to date on what settings do I want to change on my phone so I reduce or limit this access. Um, but there's always something to learn. To that point, Franz, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, if somebody is listening today and we actually have uh, Tiffany who says thank you for the information um, where can they continue to learn about this kind of thing maybe especially if they're not totally comfortable on the internet maybe um, you know not a digital native but somebody who's still trying to learn more what resources are out there for people to continue learning about how to keep their data safe online so it's difficult to find all the resources that are available if you're not on the internet per se, because there are a lot of very useful resources online. There are classes for like senior citizens in some of the centers for senior citizens. There are, we, we promote, we want for education and Donna covered this before to be early on. This needs to happen when they're starting school so that they understand what they're sharing. Now, when you do have access to the online world, and even if you're not good at searching per se, there are videos. What our initiative, Voices of Privacy, is exactly about that, is offering short videos. We have descriptions of the problems through our episodes, but then we have how-to videos. And we really try to keep them short, concise, and precise so that people can follow them and go and look at their settings. The issue, of course, is that we have multiple technologies. There are settings for Alexa on the Amazon Echo, Google Home. There are settings for the watch, depending on which smartwatch you have. Same thing for the phones. So slowly, we're going to work through and have more and more videos to show people how to turn these on. And we're trying to make the videos really easy to understand and follow so that people can go in and make those changes to their settings. And everybody needs, I'm going back to that, that element of choice. Everybody needs to make the decision. So I have a smart watch. It's an Apple watch. That means I'm giving information to Apple. It is a choice I made. Now, I can decide which information that I'm willing to share. But of course, if I want to have the information about whether I've improved my cardio capacity, then I need to give my heart rate information and weight and age and all of this. So I've given that information because I get utility out of it. There are some settings where you look at them and they say, does my, I don't know, map application really need to have access to my camera? Maybe, maybe not. So people have to make those decisions. They can follow our video. They can search online as well. There's a lot of talk about privacy right now because it is such a huge issue. And slowly, we're hoping to be able to have enough of a collection of tools for helping people. I want to bring up one more point, and as much as we talk about privacy and all of the issues, there, there is a lot going on in organizations as well, trying to help with the issue, and that, for example, there's something called privacy by design, and there are companies like Apple, HP, a lot of the 
larger tech companies are embedding privacy in the design of their services or products. And so they're thinking about it ahead of time instead of as an afterthought. So I'm really hoping that as we progress and privacy continues to be an important issue, we'll see more and more companies do that and make sure that privacy is considered as they are considering new products and services. That is so interesting because it sounds like another way that those kinds of businesses can uh, remain competitive as well and offer that to consumers. We do have a question from Tiffany who is watching online. Um, She's curious, maybe uh, both of you may know the answer to this. When you've been hacked on Facebook, who's doing the hacking, a person or a computer? It could be one or other. It could be a bot. It could be a person. Oftentimes consumers find, oh, my account has been hacked. Don't respond. Don't answer. Um, sometimes they are people of certain age ranges where they're targeted a little bit more. Maybe they're sharing more online. Maybe they have not had an activity. So oftentimes, and this is where centers come in and you can go to Facebook and the help desk and try to reach out to them to find out specifically who has hacked you, any specific information, the timing, what you can do to be more secure about this. It's oftentimes when accounts are completely public, they're sharing information. And unfortunately, we do have the hackers out there that are going to try to take your information, act as yourself, as Franz said, and really, really take it as far as they can. Interestingly enough, one other point is, um, so we're seeing all these hacks, and there was a recent article that there was a class action lawsuit against Facebook for $725 million. And if you were, if your privacy was taken, you can sign up for this. So we did a little check because actually a student sent it to us and we said, okay, let's take a look at this. So we went to the main website. It was a news website, which then took us to another, which then took us to another of a site. And it was asking, okay, your name, information, your your email that you use on this login. Then they started to ask, what credit card did you use? What this and what that? So also consumers need to be concerned as we're talking all about these privacy issues, that there are other scammers that are saying, we're going to put this out to say there's a class action lawsuit and then collect all this people information and then and then drain their accounts or whatever. So consumers have to be so vigilant in really understanding this. So it's hard to track down specifically, but if you go back to the source and then you look at your settings, you may be able to find some linkages there but there's never a time when you can click and say up oh, Joni Smith just hacked me and I know who this is most of the time it is someone of a hacker or it could be a computer bot um, that has created a fake account with your likeness with your posts but it's not you and oftentimes you need a army of people to help and take down that account that is and so interesting I- If I could add to that, because Donna brings up the excellent point, you need to try to figure out if you, you know, how or who you were at by by asking. Um, But we have, and and this is probably more cybersecurity than privacy, but, but there's the idea of target of opportunity. And this idea is we're gonna try. We're gonna try with every single and and let's take a very easy example, which is the the scams we're getting on our phones all the time. And that's basically, let's send to all these numbers so they can use robots for sending this. 
And let's just say your UPS package is delayed and um, you need to put in your information. First of all, you should ask yourself, am I really expecting a package? And sometimes you are. And it happened to me literally when I was expecting a package and I really wanted to get that package that I received one of those. And I actually clicked, I admit to it, and I went just to look at what they were asking. But the minute I saw what they were asking, which included the name, the email, the phone number, and then a lot more details, I was like, oh, yes, you know, this is a scam. And so the the idea is just send it to everybody and see who's going to click on these things and start putting in the information. So I say in case of doubt, don't. Don't click. Don't put information. And if you're really waiting for something from a delivery company, call them. If a friend sends you something that looks, why would they send you this? Don't click, call them. You know, phones still exist besides text and email. We can actually call people. So in case of doubt, call them, make sure that it is true that they're actually sending you something. And so we've got to become super careful about all of these requests we get all the time. It did start with email. It has moved to the phone. It is on all the social media all the time these days. And so we have to be careful. And that's part of that education that we were talking about before. And that is so one relatable. Other, <laughs> yeah. And just one other point, which is really interesting. And France and I have been working together on this for the last couple of years. And, and France talked about it. We're a time poor society. We're moving very, very fast. We're not thinking. So if we are getting those texts, so imagine you get a text and this actually happened to me and I'm going to share France's story where I was with her and I got a text and someone said, oh my gosh, um, I forgot to pick up my dress. I'll be right there. And so I automatically, as a kind human, was going to respond and say, you have the wrong person. But Franz said, I bet you it's phishing. It's another scam. So I didn't respond, but I still get those often. So even something, it may not be from a company. It may be from a stranger and you're thinking, maybe they just text the wrong number. It's a completely innocent. But we have to be so careful and slow down for a moment and say, would somebody send this? Or think about all the businesses. Your bank company is never going to be on the phone and ask for your ID, your information. All They have all of that. They have special passwords. But the hackers are getting so really, really good at this that they will say, this line is being recorded and make sure you have this and make sure you have that. So, so identical that it's very hard for the average consumer. So that is our hope to never stop talking about this as, as part of Virginia Tech with a prosum that we may serve, but it's it's an it's a job that's 365 24-7 because it continues and there's new outlets every single day. As we're in the confessional booth right now, I will admit also a couple weeks ago, I got a text from somebody claiming to be my boss and it was texted on a, on a phone that I didn't have his number saved on and, you know, engaged in the conversation. I thought, this is a little odd, um, the request that he had until I realized a coworker of mine a couple desks away was getting the same exact text with the same exact, and it, our names were in it. Um, and then we're like, something's up with this. And then sure enough, we realized, 
almost fortunately we stopped it in its tracks before it got anywhere but it's just crazy how sophisticated it is and uh france you're right i nobody loves my text message inbox more than hackers pretending to be amazon i think i get one a day so uh I, fortunately I, I have not engaged with that um and but but the sophistication is overwhelming okay i know your uh time is limited but we do have one more question from a viewer who wants to know when you get hacked on facebook does changing the password really work I will say that it's not just a password. It can be two-factor authentication. It's other additional steps. Um, once again, going back to what Franz had said, oftentimes we go to things that are natural for us. And Facebook will even give you these prompts. Make your password where you were born and what your dog's first name was, et cetera. So um, there are ex um, extensive privacy settings that you can use on Facebook if you go into your settings. I would recommend more than a password change and actually um, to look at two-factor author authorization. In fact, what I often do is change passwords about every three months. And there's a variety of different tools out there that show you how you can do different passwords. They don't always have to be something that you really know. It could be random words. It could be different numbers. It could be a variety of things, but you have to stay on top of it. You really do. So I would say the password is something that still could be hacked into just knowing some of these. So Facebook is a social platform. Everyone has access to it. So depending on what you've utilized, and even if you think it's the most secure, are you using that password on other accounts? How has that been accessible? So you really have to be vigilant. And I would say the password plus another, a two-factor authentication where you get a push notification to your phone saying, is this really you? I mean, Apple's really gotten it down very, very well in terms of some of the settings or the, or, or the memories that and retention that it has. So it really does confirm it's the consumer. Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was written and produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Roquelmi. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.